Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, RFK Refugees Podcast. We are a mere 19 days away from the start of the MLS regular season. Maybe some games on Fridays, but for 19 days from DC United, which is what we care about. John, how are you doing, my friend? How was your weekend? I hope it was swell. Yeah, it was great. It was less soccer. I hate international weekends, uh, we'll, and we'll talk sort of about why, I think, a little bit here. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had less games to watch than my usual 7,000, so that was, a, that was a bit of a bummer for me. But great weather. I don't know about down by you. Yeah, I was uh, so I, I was supposed to, to referee this weekend, but unfortunately, uh, my wife suffered a, uh, an ankle sprain, so a uh, pretty bad ankle sprain. She's not able to move around a whole lot, so I had to, to pull out of those games to, to take care of things around the house, walk the dog. Do all do all the things uh, while she studies for law school. Uh, so that was my weekend. I got to sit back. I watched a little bit of soccer, probably more soccer than I would have. I'm, I'm taking. I had already planned to take next weekend off, so I am planning on gorging on whatever so- soccer content I can have next next weekend for sure. Um, but we have. Uh, let's get into the. Let's let's just jump right into it. Let's let's not waste any time. We're gonna we're gonna hit you hard with the news with the bad news. Uh, you love if you love my pun alliteration. I'm not really sure what you call it. Crisis in Guadalajara, uh, of course, referring to the U.S. Olympic coach Jason Christ. Uh, the U.S. Uh, U23 national team failed to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics, suffering a 2-1 loss to Honduras. Uh, this is it, 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 it. was kind of surprising to me. I guess maybe it's the fact that we sort of have done this before. There, there, there were there were a lot of reactions. There were a lot of reactions from fans. Uh, some some were pretty uh, nonsensical, uh, including uh, "Hey, why why are why did we have the players like uh, like you know Josh Sargent and Gia Reyna? Why were they in you know in Northern Ireland?" Well, because they are senior national team players, they are much more talented uh, players. They are a major part of the team, senior team going forward. They are not just prospects, and uh, that's why they're there. Uh, but John, I have my thoughts. I have a whole article I wrote um, about this, which I'm not sure is it live on the site yet. I, it's, I had oh sort yeah, of written, it's, oh, it's live. been live since Monday. <laughs> so so many so many people have had an opportunity to check us out already. Yeah, so so it's live. It's up on the website. Um, I have some thoughts on sort of the game, and, I, and I'll get into those. I probably have maybe more more yep. bigger bigger thoughts than you do because yep. you're of your national team. But g- give me some of your thoughts. What are what are your thoughts on this on this disaster, loss, disappointment, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I watched the game, and the fact that uh, the 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 goal that really ended up costing them was on such a ridiculous gaffe. Sort of mm-hmm. just fits the ridiculousness of the whole scenario. So the idea, you know, you, you you really laid it out in the article about sort of the excuses. Well, this isn't a first choice U.S. team, so how could you, how could you possibly expect them to win? And then you look at the Honduran roster, and it's like Portland Timbers two players, uh, and that's like they're good. That's like their their top end, some of their top end talent. Um, it just it's 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 a it's disappointing for the reasons you laid out. I won't I won't steal too many of them. I'll, I'll just say I don't care too much about the Olympics. It's dumb. They should have qualified. This is not a broader referendum on uh, the failure of U.S. soccer to do well. It's not going to knock the sport back, you know, months or years or decades or whatever in its ability to move forward and succeed at the, at the national level, the top level. Um, but it, it sucks. It's a bummer, and uh, they should they should stop doing this. They should maybe get to the Olympics next time. That's my take. It, it, 
this is okay. So if we're talking about the levels of disappointment, there is 2017 in Trinidad and Tobago, uh, and you know on the other end there's 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 losing to Mexico in a World Cup qualifier at home to Columbus. I will put those two spectrums of disappointment. Uh, this is probably somewhere in the middle of that. It is certainly nowhere near the disappointment of, of missing out on the 2018 World Cup, but it's disappointing, and it's so yes. On the global soccer stage, the Olympics is not a major tournament. It's not bigger than the U-17 World Cup. It's not bigger than the U-20 World Cup. There's a lot of of weird things about it. But So if you're talking from an outside soccer's perspective, a casual follower perspective, uh, if you ask them about the U.S. men's team today, they say they know probably two things. They know they missed out on the World Cup in 2018. Maybe they know, you know, West McKinney's out there. And, and I'm talking real casual Real casual fans, maybe they just tune in to, to the U.S. when they play in the World Cup. And they're like, where's uh, Landon Donovan? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, where, where's Jurgen Klinsmann? Where's the German? He knows what he's doing. Um, there, see, I snuck him in there. I'm always going to sneak that in there. Um, it costs you a dollar every time you do it. There's a, there's a piggy <laughs> bot. Puts oh, right there is. There. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they know now that, but they know that, getting back to my point, they know that the U.S. missed out on the 22 World Cup, and they now know they missed out on the Olympics. Uh, the U.S. senior team went and played against Northern Ireland. They played pretty well. They were actually playing a sort of different formation. There was a lot of exciting uh, exciting talent on the field. Uh, we have Eunice uh, Munsa, who we, we stole from England. Uh, so there's a lot of young talent that is coming into this, uh, uh, th- this, this team. And the, that was all on display. But and those are the players we're going to be talking about in the future. Those are the players we're going to be talking about in the Gold Cup. Those are the players we're going to be talking about in World Cup qualifying coming up. Uh, we're not really probably going to be maybe Jackson Yule, maybe, uh, but sort of the rest of it is is maybe they make a spot a spot appearance, a spot sub if things go really really bad uh, with the uh, with the national team because right now the team is deep and you know sixteen of the twenty six could have been eligible for this tournament but they were with the senior team. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I, I adhere to a lot of the this isn't like an indictment like it's been previously where it was sort of an indictment of, of the youth talent in this country that they couldn't qualify. Um, now it's more of a it's a disappointment uh, from a from a outside perspective, because, you know, this is a, this is a tournament that. Well, certainly not maybe big in the soccer spheres. It is big, you know, in the United States. We all watch the Olympics. When a U.S. team does well in archery, in curling, in any any sort of sport, it gets attention. You get on Good Morning America. Uh, you you get that sort of thing. We see it with the women's team every year. Every time they win a gold medal, they're on Good Morning America, as hungover as they are. Uh, and and I wish and, and and I was kind of coming. I was kind of calming down, I guess, a little bit about this. And then um and I added this late in my article. I'd already sort of written the article. I was kind of editing it, and then I saw this tweet from uh, from Paul Kennedy. Uh, which highlighted the the amount of games that Mexico played. And to be fair, Mexico has won the Olympics. They won it in 2012. Uh, so you, you you look at what the Mexican team did. They got their team together. They they played in Central American games. They played against uh, friendlies against Germany. They had camps. They had all these other things. And, and this is an old tweet, uh, but it sort of underscores. When 2018 hit, this this match seems all right. Let's start preparing for the Olympic qualifying. Let's start doing that. And you have to wonder, U.S. soccer had a lot of things happen in 2018. I, I can't believe there wasn't anybody saying, you know what, 
The next big thing we got to maybe focus on is maybe Olympic qualifying. Let's get back to the Olympics. Let, let's let's have this be the first shot that, hey, we're on the right path now. We're, we're getting this back together. Um, and I think we've gotten a little a, a little a little drunk, let's say, on all the players, you know, Ken, McKenney and Juventus, uh, Pulisic and Chelsea, even though that's not going so well. Josh Sargent playing well for Verde Bremen. Sergio Des going out to, to Barcelona. Uh, that, you know, I think maybe we, we've had a lot of good things and th- this calls into question a lot of things about, about us soccer, about coaching, uh, Jason Christ, uh, had a, had a bad game is certainly in that game, had a bad tournament and there are questions sort of, of, of what he did to sort of prepare this team and how he, whether he put the best roster out there and players he left off, uh, Eric Williamson, DC Academy product has been brought up a lot as a player who may have been able to make a difference. Uh, so it brings up a lot. It brings up a lot of questions about about U.S. soccer as a whole, as to whether we're getting lucky uh, with the talent we have coming in, or whether something's really changing. And I think maybe they've been able to sell people, "Hey, we're changing things up. You know, we're going out, we're doing the recruiting." Uh, th- this sort of brings up those questions again. Um, U.S. soccer can't afford another lost generation, and missing out on tournaments this like this. Uh, missing out on opportunities to get players into the shop window, get players in front of European scouts. Uh, a certain Andy Nahar, which I mentioned in my article, um, and there may, there, I'm sure there are other better examples. I should have maybe looked at the Mexican 2012 team. I'm sure there were a lot of players that got noticed. Uh, but Andy Nahar made the Honduran Olympic team, showed well. Next year, he was off to Belgium. Now, there's a lot in that, but I, I, won't, I won't sit here and doubt that, that maybe that was, a, that was a part of it. So it's disappointing on, on a number of levels. And, and it's, it's not a disaster, but it's certainly not nothing that they didn't make this. It, it certainly is, is a missed opportunity. Ryan in the chat says that Jason Cray should have never been hired. What made USSF believe that a subpar MLS coach would lead the U23s to the Olympics? So I think the question buried in that is sort of how serious does U.S. soccer take this tier, this level? Um, is the thought immediately like, well, we could take a guy who is somewhat known, you know, had great success in the college ranks, hasn't really figured it out, Aside from one uh, from a short stint at RSL forever ago, now it seeming seem feeling now like quite some time ago, um, do they take it seriously enough? Did they did they spend the money? Did they find the right guy? And that's this just happened, or or do you agree that maybe this coach was a bad fit and they need to aim higher? Yeah, I I see the idea of going out and getting like an up and comer. I will say. I am not sure, considering the you know, considering the level of what the Olympic team is, the how you 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 do not you do not get your first choice of players. You may have a list of players. Oh, I want these players, and all European clubs have, and even MLS clubs have to say, nope, sorry. And and we've seen MLS be lately be very stingy, and it's affected uh, the Olympic team. We saw uh, Atlanta hold back Miles Robinson. Um, so I I question the attractiveness of the job, and also I. I put more of this, I guess, Jason Christ should have been able to get us to, to qualify. I, I, can, I, will, I will contend that. I think yelling, yelling about him is scapegoating the Federation a little bit too much on this. Um, I, I, think, I think the Federation needs to say, okay, we're going to hire whoever we hire. Let's, let's make sure we have a complement of games. Let's give him a full ability to sort of assess the roster to really build a team. And you're seeing what Mexico did. And they've now qualified for three straight Olympics. They won the Olympics. They take this seriously. And I I think I, I would put, you know, if you if you want to talk about blame sharing, 
10, 15% of this is on, is on Jason Christ because he's the coach. I don't put any of this on the players out there because that's, you know, it, it comes down to who the coach is. Uh, I would say 60, 70% is, is on the, is on the Federation as far as like how they're really giving the support that they need. And I think that's in question based on Paul Kennedy's tweet. You know, how, how can a coach know how a team's going to work if he doesn't have a full complement of games to see him out there? Even if it isn't, even if players get called back or, or players end up not being ready, you would like to know that, hey, at least he has an idea of what the identity of this team is. And also, you know, you got to think too, this team seemed like it was kind of forced into a style uh, to sort of mirror the senior team. The goal wasn't qualify, it was qualify and let's play like the senior team, which I get the, the sentiment of that. But this is kind of if you're going to sort of cobble together a roster, you're not going to give that roster the time. Then I'm saying, well, why not fit them into positions that are good, throw the ball out there, let them go out and 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 be themselves. And there's, there seemed to be a lot of overthinking, a lot of uh, of nervousness, I guess, amongst the team and a lot of uncomfortableness of how they were playing. And that's on coaching. Um, and it's also on the Federation for not pre- for not preparing. So I, I understand. I, yeah. I understand the sentiment, and and I and I think I am not sure where where Christ goes from here. I think he viewed this as this is my chance to get myself back into the back into the conversation. Um, I had I had a, a good stint with RSL, I had a bad stint at um, at Orlando and New York, and this was my chance. And and he's lost it. I don't know where he goes from here. I think I think he is close to done, unless there is anything else else on the horizon. I have an idea. This is my this is my off the wall idea for to make sure. That we get to the Olympics next time. No salary for the next coach with a twenty million dollar lump sum for qualification. Like it's like a it's like a genius prize. It's like a MacArthur Genius Grant. If you get us to the World Cup, you get fifteen million dollars. If we win or not the World Cup, if we get to the Olympics, fifteen million dollars. If you get if you win the Olympics, thirty million dollars. That's that's my this is my this is the way to do it. It's clearly there clearly the motivation is not there otherwise. So we've got to figure out a way to entice some some quality. Also, I just I was just looking at Jason Kreis's announcement from when he was hired. The U23 camp at that time included Josh Sargent, Tim Weah, Anthony Robinson, Cameron Carter-Vickers, and then Jordy Mihaljevic is the one player I believe that that actually was on the, the, that final roster. So, you know, I think it's it's good that those players have played their way up into the next division, the the next the next team. That's good. That tells you that they're good. It tells you that that's the quality that you're looking for. It it didn't get the results you wanted. We should have been able to get through on the strength of the players we did have. We didn't. Here we are again. It's 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 okay. We'll we'll, we'll all get through it. I think it was as long as the as long as this national team, as long as the the you know senior national team continues to play well, continues to be exciting. I think we're happy. I think we're now. If they don't qualify for the World Cup again, feel free to feel free to oh, go yeah. as crazy as you want. Absolutely, burn Absolutely. it down. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Uh, so I wanted, let's, before we transition to the next section, I wanted to I wanted to talk about our giveaway. Yeah, that's giveaway. actually not on. Yeah, it's not on the rundown, so I wanted to talk about it, folks. Uh, it last I believe it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Time is a flat circle now, particularly in quarantine. But we did a Washington Spirit jersey giveaway. Well, guess what, folks? We have another giveaway. Uh, we this time it is the uh, Unite the District T-shirt from uh, from Bailiwick Clothing in D.C. Uh, we're gonna give one away. You're going to go, same, same as you did last time, you're going to go to rfkrefugees.com slash giveaway, and you're going to join, uh, you're going to put your information in there, you're going to put your email in there, uh, and then next Monday on, on the show next week, we're going to announce the winner. So that's all there is. You win a free shirt, any size you need. It's very, it's nice. I have now two. 
Uh, as <laughs> I had one that I wore a hole through because I wore it too much because it was too nice, and now they gave me a second one for this giveaway. So uh, make sure you do that if you want a free shirt. They're, I think that they're going to work with uh, uh, the team to promote it again and do another one, and then potentially um, I think they're, they're looking at maybe doing more shirts in the future. So show them if you don't win this, if, say, that you're, you're, the, you're unlucky and don't win, just go buy one. They're very cheap, and they're nice Ballywick clothing. They're on um, Instagram, and they have their own website. So that's the thing. RFKRefugees.com slash giveaway. Yep, RFKRefugees.com slash giveaway. And we're looking to do uh, a lot more of those giveaways. So definitely uh, check out the website, read the articles. We're, we're doing a lot. Uh, so I think with that, uh, we're going to skip a little bit back to back to MLS, back to talking about U.S. soccer. Uh, there's been – and, and – Hats off to uh, to Sam Stayskull uh, and Paul Tenario over at the Athletic and and their podcast allocation disorder. Uh, they had a, uh, a, a, a an article that came out sort of looking at the valuations of players, and they also had sort of a discussion. And, and this is something that sort of always comes up with MLS, and it, and it comes up from a lot of the people who 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 bang the drum about an open system and 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 think that there's a better way, and then. They bring up the fact that they think MLS is a is a Ponzi scheme. Uh, it's much much more complicated than that. And I think Sam Stasekul, uh does a good job. I believe he's the one who main person who wrote the article. Uh, he does a very good job of sort of breaking down that it's it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, the the vast majority of sports teams in Europe do not make money. Uh, they are they are they are toys. They are toys of of the rich. They are a status symbol. And I would say that is true for many, many sports franchises. There are some exceptions, some big exceptions, but when they buy when we when Manchester City owners do not care how much money they make. They want to they care about the amount of trophies that they get to brag about. They get the fact that they get the they get a cool little toy. Uh so when you talk about MLS valuations and you talk about that, they this is a it is it is sort of an estimation. It's speculative. It is minorly speculative. But it is saying we are selling we are selling the Chicago Fire for three hundred million because we think 30, 40, 50 years down the road, this club is going to be worth that much. And, and that's our estimation at this point. Um, and, and they are they are not thinking five, 10 years. They are not thinking 2026 broke up. They are thinking far, far into the future as far as what these valuations are. And that's where a lot of this sort of drives from and a lot of it comes from. A lot of it also comes from land in the stadium, the stadium, a lot of that revenue. Uh, and I thought it was an interesting discussion, and it's sort of a it, it's it's a more nuanced discussion than this is a this is a Ponzi scheme, which I think it comes from a lot of people, and I and I and I fight against that. I, I don't think it's a Ponzi scheme. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, you and I disagree a little bit about this. I think we've talked about it on the show before about sort of the expansion fees, etc. Taking out some, we you know I don't think we'll necessarily go back on that, but um, the. I think the important thing to think about about American sports is that uh, it's a very social socialized losses model for all professional sports. None of these teams lose money. If you have enough money to buy a team, you make money. Um, the worst basketball team, the worst football team, the worst baseball team has is black in their ledger every time. And if it's not because of TV deals, it's because of um, money that gets sent from the good teams that have extra money, that get money that gets sent from the league. Uh, you know, MLS is the only single entity league uh, in the United States, but there is a there's a big guard against anyone losing money in their investment. That's how they continue to gain new investing groups. So that's the difference. I think the difference between 
sort of the ownership philosophy in this country and, and MLS would be part of that. And Man City, for instance, is they are they literally know they're going to light that money on fire. Roman Abramovich is not making money on his investment. It, nope. He's not. And he doesn't care because he has more money than God and he doesn't care. Uh, there are other team owners. That's that's how they're able to have their entire 28-man roster consist of international team players, like good ones. That's how they do it. So MLS is, I think MLS is caught in between. It's not a, it's not a prestige symbol unless you're in a major market, even still. NWSL is becoming that in a, in a, in a much smaller way, but it is becoming like, like a cool thing to own. MLS clubs aren't really a cool things to own. Like there's no cachet in being the, I don't know, Columbus crew owner. Outside of Columbus, no one cares. I, 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 I disagree with that. It's still owning owning a sports franchise. It is still owning a part of the community. And it, it is also this is this is the argument that anyone that anyone's gonna make is that you're getting would you would you would you not would you not argue that owning a team like Atlanta United would be cool? Owning a piece of LAFC would be cool. I mean, these yeah, are clubs I, that, that that are doing a lot. That, that I, I don't. I, I now, granted, I don't know how cool it is to own the Colorado Rapids or FC Dallas. What I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. The marquee teams, th- there's obviously. a gap. Yes, but you know, you talk about the new expansion teams that have come in. If you want to get in on a sports franchise right now, you have to fight it out for maybe one spot in the NHL. Maybe you're looking at spending a whole bunch of money that is probably already priced out. Right now, the reason is is because MLS is cheap. It's cheap to get into. It's cheap to 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 buy a team. You're getting in on something on the ground floor. You're getting on something that's growing, and I think that's what that's on the discussion that uh, that that Sam and Paul had on the show was. They are thinking far, far into the future on this, and and you you are seeing incremental growth in this league. Would you not deny that you're seeing incremental growth in attendances, crowds, interest? Not in TV. Not in TV. Okay, that's the one. And, and we'll get into the next part of this, which is their association wanting to be sort of more closely associated uh, with League MX, uh, where the TV deal. You want people to talk about who, who the most popular league, most watched league in, in America is? It's League MX. It's not the Premier League. It's not the German League. It's not any of those. It's League yep. MX. And they are trying to be more closely associated with, uh, with League MX. And that's why they have the League's Cup. They're selling those uh, the, the, those ideas, uh, the new TV contract expires again in 2022. So it expires next year. So there's going to be a new TV deal. I, I think there is still live sports in general is still the sort of, uh, the, the last, the last reason to have cable, the last reason to have a network, uh, the last reason to, to put, as long as there is live sports, there's going to be a demand for live sports. I think MLS will be fine. I don't think it'll be the major contract. Uh, but I think they will say, hey, we got the World Cup coming up. You know, maybe they extended a year or two past that World Cup. Um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what they do. I think if they don't get the money, okay, we'll take the deal, but it's only through. I think that's going to be the marketing the marketing play for the next TV contract. So the TV money's not there. You're right. But I think there is still incremental growth where you can say that the league is still growing. And and I think these we have to start thinking that these owners are not in this for 10, 5, 10 years. They're in it for the long haul. Um, they're in it, They're in it to grow. I think that the TV deal, the TV interest matters so much more than I think MLS fans would like it to mean. I think it means it means new fans. You can only fit as many fans as you can inside of a stadium. 
You have a you have small MLS stadiums that have small seating capacities. You have an interest in paying only a certain amount of money for those tickets. So you are putting a hard ceiling cap on your ability to earn as a franchise without TV revenue coming in big, like they are in every other every other country. <laughs> well, not every other country, but the the leagues that are most economically profitable have insane TV deals. They're able to sell it globally. There's an interest globally in their market. Um, so the thing that we I don't think we really touched on too much here is that the League's Cup, uh, a, a, a joint Liga MX MLS sort of test test ride here in 2021. I believe that we're supposed to have one. Have, did we? Did one actually happen fully in 2019 or was 2020 supposed to be the first year? I don't recall that. Either way, um, I think I think 2019 was the first year. They sort of it was like an invitational. Next year was supposed to be that's actual right. standings, and now it's back to sort of like an invitational or or the uh, yeah. So that's right. So this is. is this is the hail mary for them, and, and I think I talked about it on the podcast that this is the way you goose your relevance on the TV market by riding on a existing property that does great numbers. So it's it makes sense. Liga MX would like to expand beyond its current audience. And thinks it can do that in the English-speaking audience. There's obviously they have a couple games, uh, you know, a year on on FS1 in English. They think this is an opportunity for them to grow their their base, and I think they're right. But they're mm-hmm. coming from a position of of uh, existing dominance, and MLS is trying to be like, hey guys, can we can we hit you right on this train? I like that your train's good. I like your train. Um, if it works, awesome. I think there's you know there's been conversations for a long time about a joint league which is extremely complicated based on the size of both of these leagues and the geographical span. Um, so this is a good, let's tie this out first. Let's see if we can make new MLS fans out of Liga MX fans. Let's see if we can, you know, ride. So League, League's Cup happens. The the group stage games do fine. The championship game does great somehow. And then we see a little slight tick up in, in 2022. In MLS, and so a Portland Timbers versus FC Dallas game has 10,000 more viewers on the national stage. All right, good. That's great. I think that's what and, I think that's what you want to have to happen. And, and and even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't, that doesn't happen. It's still the small incremental growth. That's still something. If that's getting good ratings, you still tie that into your TV package as kind of the here we're we're going to give you the league's cup. So you're gonna, every year you're going to have a big big rating event. Um, um, like the League's Cup. And I want to add, uh, I, I do want to make a comment uh, to sort of clarify my comment, I think, uh, from M. Rickling says, how is MLS cheap to get into if Stachel is saying the MLS valuations are higher than all European clubs, save the biggest clubs in Europe? That That is expensive, not cheap. The difference is, the reason I, the reason I do think some European clubs are, 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 are cheaper uh, is a lot to do with, you know, they are small, sometimes small clubs in small little towns and, and cities. Uh, there's also a lot of risk involved. You take over a club like Newcastle, yeah, you know, you might you you have a chance of going in there and and, and making it big, but you also have a chance a risk of dropping down and losing a lot of your money. So that's why you're not going to see three, two hundred, three hundred million dollar you know valuations. Um, valuations coming in for those clubs. And I think that's something to say, yes, you're paying $250 million for an expansion fee in MLS, but you know you're going to be playing in MLS every single season. So that's even a safer investment than some of these other European clubs. So I think what we'll put, we're going to put a bow on that. We have a couple things. We got Pablo Maurer coming on the show uh, from The Athletic, talk a little bit about his his piece that he wrote on the wild 2012 uh, playoff game. Uh, before we get into that, 
Uh, we got some preseason action. Let's start with the the more exciting game, which is the Spirit. Preseason 2-1 loss uh, to Sky Blue. Injuries to Bailey Feist and Ashley Sanchez. Uh, a goal for Sanchez. Uh, they played with a three-man back line. Now we can't. We don't know the game. We can't really say much else because we, we do, there's no stream. We don't have a stream of the game. But we can say that uh, that Ashley Sanchez is okay, and we know that because Ashley Sanchez is going to be on the show this week. <laughs> so uh, she, if if her arm was dangling off and no longer connected to her body, they probably would punt. They would probably punt on this. So. Uh, we're also going to talk to Chris Seitz this week. This is the weird way. I'm going, to, I'm going to promo our Thursday show in the middle of our Monday show, which is the worst time to do it. But that's what's going on. So make sure you get your questions in, questions in for Chris Seitz and for Ashley Sanchez uh, for the Thursday show. But yeah, and, but yeah uh, their, Bailey Feist is, is injured. We don't know, this, we don't know the duration. Uh, but uh, there, there were actually media in attendance for this game. So we've gotten a little bit of better. We're getting uh, the benefit of their, their being there to understand a little bit more about what the what the tactics look like. And from what I understand, we're playing a very high line. It's giving us the ball a lot in the attacking third. It makes it extremely, extremely anxious, you know, anxiety uh, driven when the ball is no longer in, <laughs> no longer in your side. Yeah. And we have, um, we have a, uh, caller. We have a, uh, caller coming on the show. We have Patrick coming on the show. Patrick, man, you got like a, a minute. Uh, before we got it, we got to keep the phone line open. So go ahead, fire away, my friend. Okay, quick, quick thing. One, I already gave uh, John a shout out in the chat about how good he looks in marble. <laughs> always, always like that. Uh, That's good. So, uh, speaking of the marble, they gave Ben Olsen a, a jersey uh, yesterday at the the preseason match, um, and he looked, you know, very excited to get it. Did we hear anything else about him at the game or? Any reactions from uh, him checking out the new team? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess uh, so. From 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 the perspective, I guess from him being there, I think it's great. I think it's great that they're honoring him. Um, I you know, I, I think he is right now. He is collecting his check from DC, and he is he is enjoying life. Um, so I, I think I, I I wouldn't read. I guess if you're trying to read anything into that, I don't think I would read anything into that. I, I think he should have gotten one of these already. I think it would. Yeah. I think it would have been nice to have him in the initial rollout when they were giving it to the folks who were in the the uh, the kickoff magazine or a kickoff sort of uh, announcement. But he's, he, he got to paint, man. He's got to paint. <laughs> he is. He is literally. He's literally advertising Instagram this week, telling people to come by his studio and buy his paintings. So if you want to go see Ben, all it will cost you is a couple thousand dollars, and you can go and see Ben. Um, and from, yeah. from light what? Instagram stalking, it looked like he was. Uh, in Florida or somewhere warm all winter. So I think he missed, uh, the, the video shoot chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good to see Ben. Good to see him getting the Jersey. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much for calling in, bud. Uh, we're, we're going to go try to grab uh, Pablo and bring him in on the show. Um, so we got, we're going to open up the phone line again. We got to have like a, we've got to have like nine lines cause we get so many phone calls. So yeah, extremely no, right? <laughs> Brian is, Brian is behind the scenes plugging and unplugging a number of patch cables. Like we're in the 1950s. Well, Quick pause in the action means I get to remind you to make sure that you're following us on all of the platforms. We do live video on Instagram before, during, and after games this season. We have a live show every Monday at 8.30 that's on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram. We have a Discord channel for all you Gen Z listeners. And the links for all these things are on our website at rfkrefugees.com. And if you're listening to this show and haven't subscribed yet, just head over to rfkrefugees.com slash subscribe, and you're one click away from hearing us twice a week forever, or until you unsubscribe. But no one ever quits on RFK Refugees. 
They just don't. Anyway, thanks and keep enjoying the show. While, while, while we wait, while we wait, we will, we will mention DC United. We, we got to talk about at least their preseason game. Uh, again, no stream. We don't really have much to say. We know we don't even know all the goal scorers because apparently there were some trialists or academy kids that scored. I scored a goal. Is... You scored a goal. Jason Anderson <laughs> scored a goal. I think that's we know that. Really, really, the goal scorer was the friends we made along the way. Mm-hmm. So, five-one <laughs> uh, victory over over Loudon United. Uh, preseason chugging right along. Hopefully, hopefully, we get maybe at least a stream or something so we can actually talk a little bit about the game. Um, I guess they've got a couple other games coming up this week. Uh, we'll 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 see what happens. We are we are uh, firing right away, and we also have our tailgate. Do not forget about that. April seventeenth. Uh, join us at six thirty p.m. We are going to be uh, at. We're going to be having a tailgate. We're going to be having. Um, we're going to be having all kinds of fun. So definitely, uh, we got details on that. Uh, but right now, uh, we've got uh, Pablo Mauro on the line, I believe. Uh, Pablo, how you doing? Good, good, doing well. Pablo, thank you for coming on the show. I'm uh, excited that this uh, this article came out, and I'm curious if did it. I, I think I remember someone just adding you saying, "Boy, it would sure be sure be great to have an oral history on this." Was it that, or was this already cooking? Was this already in your back pocket? And you said this is something you got to do for before the season starts. Yeah, actually, Paul Tenorio, a colleague of mine, um, he and Sam Stachko, another. Uh, colleague they do a, a podcast called allocation disorder and somehow the the Thierry Henry Roy Miller free kick came up um and Paul Paul had said on the podcast oh you know I, I gotta do an oral history on that free kick so in our staff call the next day I said hey you and I should team up and just do an oral history of the entire game because I was there and it was still one of the most bizarre experiences of my professional life um, and Paul very quickly was like, well, you just do the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, so that's how that came about. No, it's something, I mean, I, I wanted to write it for a while. It's just one of those things that's still, it's like fairly recent history, you know, but, um, I guess when I think of that, it's almost been a decade, you know, but no, it's, it's something I wanted to write for a minute for sure. The, the time passage was very evident to me when I saw all the players that you were talking to. And now most of them are sort of towards the end of their careers or, or they've moved on to two or three different teams. It was just it was interesting. I felt older having I was like, oh, that had to be like a couple years ago. Right. And then I looked at the, the byline and I was like, oh, man, nope. <laughs> All of these things. MLS, MLS seems to move fast and, 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 and particularly these sort of uh, these historical landmarks sort of go really fast in the rear view. And I wanted to start sort of um, I, I imagine most of our most of our viewers and listeners are familiar with this game. Uh, but I, I don't think we got the thing that the things that everyone remembers the, the Deleon goal. I think that's the that's the iconic visual memory. Um, but what what of the conversations that you had? What was the thing that sort of stuck out to you as something that you you knew about Roy Miller? You knew about the goal? You knew about the snow? What were the, what were the sort of the, the the really surprising stuff that came through in the quotes? What's something that surprised you as you were t- talking? To well, these I folks? was surprised. I was surprised by. I mean, you know, I I spent the entire night before so the game that got so the game you know when that was snowed out or postponed or whatever <clears throat> i spent um i'd gone there with a photo credential to shoot the game so i spent it sort of uh wandering the hallways around both locker rooms trying to kind of gather information and um it was you know as i said in the piece it was like or as everyone said it was like very apparent that the red bulls did not want to play the game i mean it was i cannot stress to you enough 
the the fact that it was like Thierry Henry was sort of leading the charge and was just like, I mean, you could hear his voice, you know, was complaining to the refs, anybody would listen. And I guess what I was surprised by was, you know, I knew that to be true, but to hear Dax, Mike Petke, mm-hmm. Luis Robles, all these guys, um, really almost go out of their way to say, yeah, it was ridiculous. It was pretty obvious that, you know, the sort of elite players and decision makers of the club didn't want to play. And, and the, the, the standout quote to me was Pecky saying that, you know, hey, you know, I knew we lost the game right then and there, you know, psychologically. Um, I guess I was just surprised at how candid a lot of the Red Bulls guys yes. were, <laughs> you know, because it, it's, a, it's not a pleasant thing to admit. It's, it's an embarrassing thing to admit it's, you know, athletes aren't supposed to ever not want to sort of go out there and kill each other or whatever you want to say, you know? So I was pretty surprised by that, honestly. Um, the rest of it, it w- you know, it was like, would have been hard for me to be surprised by any of it. Yeah. Um, having been there and covered it and having sort of been kind of embedded in the whole thing, you know, but no, I was definitely surprised by how candid um, a lot of those guys were. Pablo, this is this has always been a rivalry. Me, me as somebody who who's followed this team for a long time, the DC New York Red Bulls rivalry has has more history, more crazy moments. This you you look back on this game, and and I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, this was the last time really that we had, you know, sort of a a it was number one a game that matters, and number two it was sort of the the craziness of of the moving the matches, the the snow game, it, it really just kind of had it all. And this is a, a, a rivalry that is is very much uh, on life support. I mean, it matters to to me, it matters to, to Mark Fishkin, it matters to DC and Red Bulls and Red Bulls fans. But you talk about from a sort of uh, a, a league perspective, you know, they're busy trying to get the Red Bull and New York City FC rivalry. They've been shopping around a rival for us. I guess it's Atlanta. It may have been Philly. What do you see? Is it just a matter that the that the teams just haven't been good, or, or what do you see as sort of a a way to sort of get the get the 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 pageant the pageantry of this rivalry sort of back on its feet? Yeah, I mean the 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 rivalry has certainly been irrelevant since NYCFC entered the league. Um, the league the league itself has done nothing to sort of foster. I think I actually wrote a piece maybe last year about this uh, where I talked to some of the originals who are involved in it, some of the more recent players. And if you get a guy like Benny or, you know, Bill Hamid is somebody who this rivalry is still like deeply meaningful to him. Um, probably of anyone on the team, he does a, the best job of connecting with the club's history. Obviously part of that has to be with, do with the fact that he's been around for a decade. Um, uh, you know, he came up supporting the team and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just lost so much of its juice. So that having been said, like it's ne- it's never going to reclaim any of its glory unless there's some like really memorable moments. Um, and you know, DC hasn't been very good, you know, recently. Um, the two sides two sides haven't really played very many memorable games. I mean, you know, the 2012 game probably the last really significant game in the rivalry was I want to say in 2015 when uh, Red Bull beat. DC in the playoffs at RFK to sort of like break that curse. Um, you know, since then it's been, it's been kind of largely irrelevant, you know, um, the league obviously is always sort of moving on to the next, uh, the next sort of like sexy rivalry that it can promote, you know, um, and, and honestly like the, you know, the NY NYCFC Red Bulls one makes a lot more sense, but 
um, you know, anyone who's been around for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years um, has a sort of special appreciation for the Atlantic Cup. I, I wrote in the piece that I wrote last year that the last time I saw the Atlantic Cup, which I think was in 2016, the actual trophy I'm talking about, it was, uh, it was in the D.C. locker room and it was being used to hold a door open. So <laughs> that's like... So I mean, that just shows you, like, even physically that the actual trophy has sort of fallen to, you know, I think it was also based on the, a week later and there were, like, energy bars in it. You know, it was, like, <laughs> on the training table and there were, like, you know, it was used, it was full of, like, you know, Powerade or something like that, you know. So I, um, I don't know. I would love to see it come back, man. Um, even in 2012, it was, like, so, the hatred was so deep, you know. Um, it was such a fun rivalry. So I, I definitely miss it, you know. I, I, I am I am not giving up hope. I think both teams need to have sort of a sustained amount of success. Um, I also uh, I, I think the league as a whole has kind of moved on from the trophies for rivalries thing. Uh, you're not hearing the sponsored Rocky Mountain Cup. I guess Cascadia is still a thing, um, but it, it's not as it's not as good. John, you had the next one, but you go you go. Ahead. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I we could talk through each element of this. I think there's so there are so many interesting things. We don't we want to make sure that people actually subscribe and read so if you're not subscribed you know go go subscribe use promo code rfk refugees for zero percent off uh a 12 month i suggest you do that uh but actually i mean three days you can get a subscription for a dollar a month for six months there's a link in the story so there you I go mean, if you can't if you can't be a dollar a month then i i just i don't you know my, my, i'm not gonna talk to you Whatever. My favorite thing to do, my favorite thing to do, is go on Reddit whenever I post an athletic article and have someone say, "Can someone just, can just someone put the in there info issue there for me?" I'm like, "Listen, I just, I will downvote you. I will downvote you if you try to steal it, and if you say it's too expensive, <laughs> uh, that's the only thing I can physically do to you." But the the thing that came through, I think, one, a lot of the things came through, but one was, it was the practical realization of the power of 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 Ben Olson as a as like a motivational speaker. Uh, Deleon spoke about it. The quote from Ben Olsen said that they were going to fucking eat their faces. Like I, I felt myself getting charged up just reading like sec, I got secondhand buzz from, from reading old quotes or quotes about a thing that happened in 2012. Um, I, obviously there are limits to how much you can juice somebody up and, and get performance out of them. But I feel like this was the embodiment of the argument for Ben Olsen. Uh, like the argument for uh, the will over over the skill, the will over whatever the actual result of the game should be. Uh, I feel like everybody you talked to came away with that. They were like, we we were we knew we were not as good. We knew that they were the big glitzy team, and we were just going to put it in their face, and it didn't matter. And it seemed like that was that helped a lot in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I did look. The piece was. 6,200 words, I want to say at the end of the day, which is long, but I had, you know, I did 17 interviews and I want to say that everything transcribed was 35,000 words. And um, I mentioned that because uh, there was so much stuff that got left on the cutting room floor. And, and honestly, every DC player I talked to, there were six of them, I mean, just really hammered home on that, that it was like, that was Ben's, you know, and Ben was not far removed from his playing days back then. Um, I remember I saw Ben that night on the field. He's walking around. I took a photo of him, and he walked up to me, and I just said, "You know, what do you think of what do you think of this?" And he just said, "Perfect." This one word, <laughs> you know, like, and I, uh, I remember right then and there being like, "Holy shit, these guys really want to get out here," you know. Um, he is. He was, you know, I think at the very end, man, he kind of lost um, 
that team last year, even even in the locker room, the sort of like rah rah mentality. I mean, when you just lose game after after game, there's no like that only like you said that only goes so far. But but he got a lot of mileage out of that man with a lot of teams. And if you get like a the team like the 2012 one that has like a few skilled players on it, you have guys like you know Ben's other specialty is taking these sort of castoffs. You know, in 2012, it was a guy like D Rowe. Um, in 2011, too, who just got, you know, offloaded by the Red Bulls. Um, you know, he's done it with other sort of MLS veterans. Boswell's another one. Um, you know, so if you get, like, a few skill players, a few guys who have a chip on their shoulder, then you get, like, a, a few young guys who come up, guys like Andy Dahar, Bill Hamid that year. Pontius was in, I want to say, his second or third year. Um, you know, it was just sort of like the perfect storm. Um, that that team was easily the most entertaining entertaining DC team I've ever covered. The only one that even comes close is, um, you know, the second half of 2018, obviously. But but the 2012 team was was kind of something special. Well, let's uh, let, let's talk. Obviously, this is this is a new era in DC. We have the Hernan Lasada era. Uh, we have a, a lot of other changes of the club. I, I guess it's. There's a lot of, I guess I'll call it, un, I don't know, unhappiness. There, there's a lot of angst amongst fans of, of sort of wanting to know what the direction is. We, we've gotten maybe little snippets of, of things. Where do you sort of see, I mean, if you had to give sort of an overall state of the club right now entering this new era, you know, there are mistakes that have been made. We, we've talked about the supporter issue. There was sort of the, the embarrassing story about the, uh, that you broke about the, uh, having to have people, uh, you know, in the front office stay at, at night and sort of watch security cameras. Where, what do you sort of see as sort of the state of this club? Is it, it, you know, are things as bad as some fans want to make it or are they, are they completely, are they, are they right? Or is there some exaggeration that goes on? Uh, and I know that was a very broad question. <laughs> I gave a yeah, broad no. question. <laughs> uh, like, I think the team has spent more in recent years, but not probably not enough. Um, they've missed on a few signings. Uh, you know, as far as the front office goes, there's no way around the fact that they're grossly understaffed. There's no way around something like the security thing. Um, there's no way around them not being diverse enough. You know, like these are all things that that are just true. You know, um, I think fans. Yeah, I mean, I think fans should push the team hard to like improve in those areas. I think the fans should push the team hard to improve on the field. Um, you know, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, I see the club as being kind of in transition, but certainly there's so many areas they could do better at. And the thing is, you have you got a lot of clubs now. I mean, like. I, I, for example, the, the stadium itself. I mean, like, it's look, man. I get that. For example, it's it costs half as much to build a building in Cincinnati as it does in DC. But if I'm a DC United season ticket holder and I'm looking at that stadium that they have in Cincinnati right now, there is a huge kind of like WTF element to that. You know, um, the bar the bar in MLS is being raised so rapidly at this point at every club, not just the big ones that, you know, it'd be easy for DC to get left in the dust, you know? So look, I think there, there, there are a lot of things they've done well. Like I said, they've spent more. Um, I think the coaching change, you know, I, I have a, a special place uh, reserved somewhere in my heart for battles, you know, mm-hmm. but like it was a necessary thing. Even Ben said so, you know, um, I can tell you the players I've talked to, to this year absolutely love uh, Losada and like, 
you know, I think there's a lot of promise there. He's a young coach with a lot to prove, clear tactics, you know. So I think the club is headed in the right direction. I just think that, that people need to kind of continue to usher them in that correct direction, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think the, pre- the pressure is important for sure. The, so we, the way we've sort of been at looking at this year is I think we've generally landed on Aaron is not going to have the, obviously he's not going to have the financial support to change the team in the way he wants this year. He has, he has himself in numerous media opportunities, lowered expectations to the floor as much as possible, sometimes in ways that seem a little bit over the top, but I understand, I understand the impetus. Uh, but I think we basically said that his job this year is to get career average performances out of all the players that were brought in in the last two years that over last season specifically all underperformed. Um, and I think we sort of handicapped them at the minimum we expect is the eighth spot in the playoffs and the maximum, I think I said in the last show is like the seventh. <laughs> like, I think that they're, they're good enough to get in. They're not, they're not really in a position to really be threatening anywhere higher than that. Based on who's been brought I, in I, this year, I, you disagree? I, I expect more than that. I see this year, honestly. I, I mean, like you, like you sort of touched on briefly, so much of this is going to be like, okay, if they get if they get like a much better year out of Julian Gressel, if they get a much better year, really mainly out of Edison Flores, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they get a great year out of Bill, you know, I think they could be competitive. I don't think they're going to light the world on fire, but you know, like I, I'm wary of the sort of like, the, the excuse making thing that you mentioned. The sort of mm-hmm. like, well, you know, he didn't have time to like put a stamp on the roster. That sort of bullshit i mean again this is mls man there are teams that compete that spend half the money dc well this year you know um so i think i don't know i i i would expect more out of the team than literally making it to the play-in game or something like that you know i mean i i'm sure i could potentially eat my word i thought they might be pretty okay last year too you know but um you know they made some decent additions I'm, i'm starting to get like at least quasi excited about covering the team, which is not something that happens every year. So. Right. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I, I think that's fair. I think, I, I think we are probably emotionally hedging, I think is what we're doing there. <laughs> I think, and, and we're still sort of, of curious about where the goals are going to come from. Um, I think that, that, that's that, you know, Nigel Bertha seems great, but I don't, I don't think that we've solved a, uh, a slam dunk, a slam dunk solution to the goal scoring drought. So I think that's probably a lot of it, but I think, you know, well, like, you are right. It's hard to do with with a player like Roberto. It's hard to know. I mean, Eric Sorgat scored like 800 goals in Estonia, yep. and you just sort of like, look. I don't watch a lot of like Bulgarian soccer, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm impressed by what I've seen. Certainly, he seems like technically adept player, but it's just these European players are a total crapshoot. I mean, so are the ones that DC has gotten from Central and South America too. Some have worked out very well. Others not so much, um, you know. But but who knows? I mean, we have no idea. Roberto could come in and score 15 goals easily in MLS. You just never honestly know with with these folks, you know. So we'll see what happens. I, I think any signings a crapshoot. I mean, there are no sure things. Everyone wanted to think that Atlanta's past couple signing big signings have been, you know, oh they're sure bets, and now you know they're they're not. So it's 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 the nature of the international market. But there is usually a ceiling when you spend one point one million dollars. Fair. The ceiling's a little bit lower, so he could. That's that's the the great thing about those budget signings is they can make Dave look like a genius. Like, 
in much in a much better way than a ten million dollar signing performing well. You're like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what was supposed to happen. Good, yeah. So maybe there's that. He could get the front office award. But yeah, anyway, MLS GMs. To be clear, I'm, I'm not just talking about Dave Casper. MLS GMs as a whole get a lot of mileage out of a few signings. You know, they only have to like hit one a year or something like that to look like a genius apparently so um so i don't know again i'm, I'm painting in broad strokes there i'm not just talking about dc united but yeah so uh, pablo thanks for thanks for joining us i want to make sure that we plug the piece again make sure that you check out the athletic i think it's one of the featured pieces so it should not be hard to find uh and there's a lot of great anecdotes particularly from I thought Dax and, and Petke were extremely candid, and I enjoyed their quotes the most, particularly coming from the other side. And uh, somehow, I don't understand how, and I'm, I shouldn't even probably admit this, the penalty re-kick had been edited out from my brain. I remembered everything else about it, and that is such a notable <laughs> part, but it, is go- it was gone. And then I was like, oh, that did happen. I forgot. I, I know. I know. I know. And somehow it was gone. I knew Bill was gone, but then the, re- the retake, it was Anyway. Make sure you make sure you read it. If you're like me and somehow your brain edited out the most notable and exciting part of the game, and still you had great feelings about it, check it out. I think too the 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 point you brought up the the uh, that you talked about um, the team going to see the 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 fans in the upper deck after uh, the cancellation, then also celebrating with them after the after the win. Uh, I feel like that is you know Jimmy's quote about it was great. That's some of the things we've talked about on the show, like that that. That set DC, set MLS teams, but DC United specifically apart from, you know, the Wizards or the Nationals, like that sort of uh, attention and care, like the, the the quotes about, man, they came up here on a weekday, they they spent money to come up on this bus, like that's hard for them, they had to call out of work, and I don't know that that I don't know that that thought process goes on, and you know, somebody who makes thirty five million dollars a year playing left field for the Nationals and during a rainout, I don't know if that yeah. thought goes by. I honestly, uh, I was literally standing behind the bench when I want to say it was Pontius and Brandon, but you know, I heard Pontius like turn to Brandon McDonald and say, we got to go up there. And I, I have a video actually meant to put it on YouTube and embedded in the piece. I followed them up over there, up the stairs, sort of filming it. And, you know, I'm like a, I would say generally I'm a pretty cynical guy. Um, and I found the whole thing very moving. I, I did. I, you know, it's like, it seemed, I, I always, you know, you always wonder there's like a connection that exists between players and fans. And sometimes it's like, you can kind of tell the players are sort of faking it or, you know, like they're just sort of going through the motions. Um, other times it's really real. And that was a very real moment. That was, you know, and, and it's funny later in the piece, Joe Willis has a, a line where he says um, that he was looking up at the fans before the penalty retake. Yeah. And I thought to myself, yeah. That's bullshit. Okay, well, go watch the video. There's actually a close-up of him right before Cooper hits it, and he's looking straight up at the upper deck. Wow. So it's just like, in my head, I was like, that is, that's nuts, because it just sounded like something Joe was saying just for storytelling purposes, but you very clearly see him look at the stands, you know, like, so it's nuts. I mean, it was like, it was a very, it was a very real thing. It was just a weird two days, man. I mean, I ended up, the first thing I ended up at Thomas Floyd, who used to write for Goal.com. Now he, he does um, stuff for the Washington Post. Um, he's an entertainment reporter there. I slept on the floor of his motel room in Newark, New Jersey, with like one of the grossest sleeping accommodations <laughs> I ever had. But I mean, it was just like when that game got canceled, everybody was scrambling. And, you know, it was just nuts, man. It was, it was fun. 
life was simpler back then. Um, uh, you know, for it was, sure. It was, it was so make sure sure. make sure you uh subscribe to the athletic read that article uh subscribe to open wide for some soccer for their once annual show uh to make sure you're checking that out uh and uh again bob yeah yeah that's that's right i get get a plug in for the inactive show i feel like that's that's a good thing to do for you pablo thanks for joining us man we really appreciate it thanks guys take care thanks pablo all right. Oh, yeah. There's the audio coming in right from the thing. <laughs> Always gotta love that hang up audio. Um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a great piece. Subscribe to the Athletic guys. You, we we you, people who ask for those, and I, this is where I plug pe- the same people who ask you know ask for those articles to be copied into their into their. I, I don't want to spend anyone's money. I don't want to you know talk anyone's money. But, you know, asking for those articles to be posted and then, you know, people do that and then companies go out of business and then you ask why there's no coverage of soccer. Uh, Six dollars for six months, which will get you through most of the season. So do that. It it costs it costs less than probably your cell phone bill costs right now or maybe a little more depending on how much Internet you spend. It costs Uh, it costs less than what we're asking you to spend on Patreon.com slash RFK refugees. So think about it that way. (laughs) <laughs> support good content this is the type of stuff that comes from that and support support content like this uh because we need it in this league desperately this is how the mlsa ain't ain't, ain't doing any uh any any history uh they do it very sparingly even for their 25th year now getting COVID hit that uh, i i was deeply disappointed i really thought it was going to be a renaissance of, of historical content um so uh so so we, we need more of that Yep. Um, we need more of that. We need more of that in this league. Uh, if unless there isn't, if nothing else, uh, there's a there's <laughs> there's a multi-party conversation about the Kyle Martini component of this story. <laughs> there's Kyle Kyle, Kyle Martino is is talked to about it. Bill Hamid is talked to about it, and also there's a Leonard Pahoy reference in this article. It is a complete time machine to the year 2012 and i know I, I share this with a friend who is sort of getting into dc united and they were really really impressed at that at that fan story because it seems so out of the left field for for sports fans of that haven't followed mls or haven't followed soccer and that you know there haven't been moments since then really like that was to me the last moment where you felt that direct connection with the players in a way that they were like oh yeah this is like a family like this isn't just these aren't just people who spent some money like this these are these are this is much more important than that. Yeah, it, it is something that is uh, that's fading away. I think a little bit amongst amongst players. Um, I I don't know if you know we'll see. We talk about moments in in, in games. Uh, you know, I think if I I hope maybe when fans are let back, uh, you know, if you know Felipe Martins is suspended for yellow card accumulation, he would certainly be out in the crowd. He would be. That doesn't sound like something the, that would happen to him. <laughs> that? <laughs> that doesn't sound like something that would happen to him. <laughs> It'll probably happen once, at least once this season. Uh, but you, you talk about we talk about certain moments uh, in in MLS. Uh, you know, I I remember the moment when Christian Gomez was suspended. He went into the into the away section of the bar by wearing an Argentina jersey and started banging the drums. Uh, th- those are moments we need to really enjoy when they happen. Uh, because they are something that will probably go away as more money gets into the league, as 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 more salaries go up, bigger spenders. Uh, things things like that go away. Um, so hopefully, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I no, feel I like that's... No, I think you're right. And I thought I thought of why is because uh, back then, I think Chris Pontius was making like $75,000 a year and he was not, he was like he, a starter. He Maybe he, maybe like one fifty, but it was he like... Was, I, he was, he... 
he was doing fairly well for him. I mean, he was making Fine. at least a hundred, two hundred thousand for Fine. the team that year. He was one of the main pieces. Throw yeah. Pontius out, but I'm just saying, like the the lower threshold, like the, there, but for the grace of go, uh, God go I situation, like they could be like Joe Willis was making sixty five thousand dollars. Oh, he was, he was, he was, yeah, he was definitely on that league minimum. If so that league cool. minimum was sixty five thousand, so so that you can see, it's a lot easier for them to put them themselves in your shoes when you guys like make the same amount of money. But when that's, I think that's probably a little bit of the explanation for why the big divide from the professional athlete to the fan. But either way, it was a great story and, and a great outcome. Yeah. It is, it is, and definitely, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, let's drop some some talks. We got the tailgate. I want to drop that again. com slash tailgate. We are going to be doing a sort of lot eight virtual. Bring your beer, bring your best drink. Uh, we're going to talk DC. We're going to talk lineups. We're going to do a live show. Uh, we're TBD on maybe some guests we're going to try to try to get for you guys. Uh, we have, uh, obviously, our pieces, uh, recap interviews of Donovan Pines and Zoltan Stieber. Definitely check those out. Uh, some interesting details from Sultan and also a great interview with Donovan Pines. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, listen, enjoy. We, we do this content for you all. Subscribe. Our interviews, of course, will come up early uh, when I get them and I get them edited. They go up right away on the website. So definitely uh, definitely be there. Subscribe at the page, patreon.com. Check out RFQRefugees.com for all our content. Twitter.com or on Instagram, Facebook, all the good things. Uh, I guess with that, we will see you guys on Thursday. Vamos. Vamos. Vamos.